Hey there, Pure Report listeners. Great episode coming up for you featuring Robert Quimby. Q, our Microsoft Solutions architect. Spent some good time with him talking about all the work he's doing around Microsoft Exchange, as well as our PowerShell SDK. And he's got great insights, uh, even historically, on uh, Exchange. He used to work at Microsoft, so he brings a really unique perspective. Hope you like this episode. And since we're on the subject of Microsoft, not too early to promote our presence at Ignite. It is uh, far out there. It's in November, early November in Orlando, as usual. But we will have a silver sponsorship. We will uh, have a booth there. Come by and see us. We'll have a number of sessions. We'll be uh, doing a mini theater in booth. And so if you're not registered, go register. And if you want to have one-on-one meetings, uh, feel free to reach out to your pure account team who can connect with us and get those set up. And we'd love to see you there. And now here is Q on the Pure Report about Microsoft Exchange and PowerShell. Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it's time to bring the orange. Our special guest today is from our solution architect team on the in the Flash Array business unit, right? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Robert Quimby, and you don't live here. You are Seattle-based. That's yeah? right. I'm a little east of Seattle, right by Microsoft. Awesome. So it was good to catch you while you were down here doing some work, doing some training videos for our SCs. Definitely. Awesome. Very welcome cool. Welcome to the program. I've been wanting to have you on for a while. How Thank long, you, sir. How long have you been at Pure. You've been uh, about eight, nine months. So eight, I started it early November last year. Okay, early yeah. November. So what have you? What are your impressions? What have What have you liked uh, that 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 you've been a part of in the last eight to nine months? So so I feel like it's late 1990s, and I'm back at Microsoft, and <laughs> everybody is super intense, super excited, uh, and passionate about what they do. And I'm now not the smartest person in the room, isn't which is intimidating, right? Isn't that a weird thing it when, is. You, when you usually are and then you come here and go, oh, my gosh, we, we just have smart people Very here. smart people. Everywhere you go, everywhere you look, which is, which is super energizing, right, right, to go to work, right? You, it's you a do great better, thing. right? You yeah. know, you're in the fastest heat. You come in last, but you were ninth instead of, you know, 73. Second, but you won your heat. <laughs> that's right? right. That's right. Yeah. Or or you 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 uh, what win place show you 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 were third you sh- you 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 were on the podium exactly, which usually means you finished third right? <laughs> when you, when you put it that way. Um, you talked about being at Microsoft yes. right in the late '90s. I think most of your experience is Microsoft based, which right. is why you're one of our Microsoft solution architects, right? Definitely. Um, how long were you at Microsoft? Quite a while. Uh, almost nine years. Okay. That is that is a quite a big spell at a at a big company. It is. And it is. and what part of the business unit were you in? I was actually in the Exchange product unit. Funny that we have you working on Microsoft Exchange it's solutions. Fun. Just just for this tiny little <laughs> bit. I mean, there's a lot that I'm working on, but right, I, I'm right. so passionate about Exchange because messaging has been my whole life. Yeah, and that's what we want to talk largely about here is a lot of the solutions work that we do. Right, a lot of our our Microsoft solutions um, business is around SQL Server, and, and naturally, Definitely. like the database, you know, is going to attract that. For for data, yes. But kind of surprisingly, there's still a ton of enterprises out there that are that's running Exchange Server, which is on-prem in this weird world of SaaS-based email. Definitely, it's still a thing, right? It is. It is. And not only are many companies still running Exchange on-prem, we're starting to see more companies coming back from the cloud. Uh, they're having bad experiences. Uh, maybe they're a non-persistent desktop environment yeah. so that every time you log in, it's a brand new VM. And when you log out, it gets deleted. 
Well, typically an online experience on Office 365 is poor. Yeah. So you want it local. You want it cached. And so I've actually, since I've been at Pure, helped customers deploy persistent cached OST files on SMB shares or on custom virtual disks that are added to their persistent VDI VMs. So they're basically running Exchange, quote unquote, out of an OST file locally on Pure Flash Array that's occasionally syncing with Office 365. So it feels cl it's a cloud-like experience, yes, but it's still sort of on-prem services, right. that are kind of being delivered. Interesting. What? Why are? Why this? Uh, you know, let's use the word right. Why the repatriation? Why? And Microsoft must be aware of this, right? Yes. With, you know, with with the services that they're offering with with 365. But what is going on? What are those top three challenges? that enterprises are hitting when they move to this sort of SaaS-based model and then after a couple of years go, mm, this, this isn't quite working for us. Let, let's go back to what we knew and loved and, you know, that's been working since the mid-90s. What, right. What's going on there? Well, if, if you go back about 10 years ago, yeah. Microsoft's focus was everything's the, cl the cloud. Yeah. And they're not going to work on anything on-premises. They're not going to put investments into Windows or anything. Everything is going into Azure or nothing. And they had to come back because there was a huge pullback from the customer base. And so from like the last five years, what you're hearing from Microsoft is hybrid, hybrid, hybrid. And where's the edge? And where's my endpoint? And how can I have some on-premises and some in the cloud? And now they're working with folks at what they're comfortable with. Okay. And so we have uh, you know, folks that are in different uh, segments, whether it's uh, governments, whether it's military, uh, healthcare, a lot of uh, the SLED stuff in universities and schools, um, manage exchange on premises. And a lot of that is due to different laws in different uh, areas around the world. Oh, sure. Data sovereignty and things of that nature. So would you say that, again, vast generalization, but a majority of the exchange is kind of living in those kind of state and local government, federal government, um, hospitals, places where there's a little bit more restrictive regulations. Definitely. And, yeah. and Microsoft has come a long way so that folks can still, in those areas, deploy in Office 365. Um, but email is is really um, mission critical. Yeah. And there are uh, there's a mindset change that has to happen when you go into the cloud. You have to decide that, well, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm paying for this service. Hey, I see that Azure and Amazon's down you know, so many hours a year, and I'm just going to have to take you'll my endure it there. Yeah, you'll just endure and it. You'll know that going in. Yeah. Right. And then and then they're responsible for my data. Uh, I, I work with lots of law firms. And let's say that uh, 20 years ago, email is critical for this next uh, business uh, case, and uh, it's been lost, you know. And, and so you, you see lots of people running around uh, – trying to back that data up. Hmm. So here you have you know, deployed it into Office 365, and now you're using a third-party backup app to, to, to back it up locally on-premises. And then if Office 365 is down, figuring out a plan so that you can expose that and mount VMs so that you can access your data. So it's, well, you're kind it, of back where you started, you're going, right? In it, a it's way, in a circle. Right? It's a full circle. Exactly. What was it, what was it like? Take us back, because I think Exchange debuted somewhere mid-90-ish. Yep. I think you were there 96. a little bit after. 96, yep. and you got there 98, was, Yeah, right? two years after. What yep. was it like? What, what, what was, I mean, I remember it was pretty exciting. I mean, I, I'm exposing my age here, but the first company I worked at out of college, we didn't even have email. Right. Right. Think yeah. about the think about the latency of writing a memo to six people and then waiting for responses over the next two days compared to, and I know there were, there were other forms of email out there, but I think Microsoft and Exchange really 
made it available to the masses, right? Really made Definitely. made it highly functional and easy to use, and not just kind of like an AOL thing, right? It was really built for the enterprise. It, it, it really was, because they did have another product, MS Mail, and that was yeah. kind of inter-office mail. Um, and then when they really got serious about it, I mean, if you go back to this time frame, Exchange launching in 96, right? You had NT, mm-hmm. NT4. Um, things didn't exist uh, like DNS and Active Directory and IIS oh my gosh, uh, for yes. web servers. That's right. None of those. Uh, none of that was mm-hmm. part of Microsoft. And so uh, what was happening when I started was we're going to create this new operating system that has an Active Directory. So Exchange before that had its own directory. So now we're depending on Windows for the directory. We're depending on Windows for IIS. We're depending on all these different services. And all this code is alpha. So we're building an Exchange platform on top of alpha operating system that worked on From DEC alpha right. and <laughs> Intel. Lots uh, of alpha, and then, alpha. And yeah. then before yeah. NT5 shipped, they renamed it Windows 2000 and killed alpha. Um, but the, the thing was is in, in those old days, you had one database. You had a private and a public one. The, 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 the public one was for public folders. Uh, when we launched Exchange 2000, you could have 20 databases. So the scale started to change, and I was working on scalability, and so that was my focus. And so now we're getting really large. Yeah. And who was the big dog? Lotus Notes. Sure. I mean, sure. they were like 10 to 20 times the size that of Exchange. massive. Right. And it was uh, about four or five years later um, in the 2003 timeframe where we passed them. And suddenly it was like, this is a big deal. And that's where the challenges come, right? I mean, I think, you know, not just from a development standpoint where you guys were, but also when you're going out and you're, you know, you're getting feedback from users going, okay, now we're running, you know, we, we, were, we were supporting several hundred users and that right. was easy. Right. Now we're supporting thousands of users or in some cases, right? You get a big enterprise that's got Definitely. this deployed site-wide, yep. including multinational perhaps. You're talking tens of thousands of users. Yep. What does that do? How how does that work for the admins that are managing it, or all across the stack? Right. I mean, you've got the app side, the you know the database side, and the the storage layer, which you know we focus on. But what what do those challenges look like as that evolved in the two thousands? Right. The the big challenge is that there are a lot of things that you depend on. Yeah. And a lot of those things don't scale. And so, how do you deal with um, a dependency failing? Mm -hmm. And so, the time server's off. Things are failing. DNS is down, Active Directory. And so how you have and how many Active Directory servers you need that are dedicated global catalogs because you're doing lookups when you're logging in and when you're doing things. And if that won't scale, you will not scale. Yeah. Um, and then everything turned on a dime uh, after 9-11, and it was all about DR. So we had a lot of really, really large financial companies, and it was um, basically uh, a trillion to one. Uh, all their backups were in the other tower. Oh, gosh. Yeah. What are the odds yeah. that we're going to lose two towers? Right. And so right after that, the, everything became, how can we make it so that if I have a backup of my database, I can mount it somewhere? Because in the past, it was very difficult. You'd have, to, you'd have to set up an isolated copy of your domain. You'd have to restore that server, bring back into the databases. I mean, it was a multi-day to even get to the data. And if you were going to actually not just get to the data, but go into service again, it was weeks. And so everything was about database portability. Now, how can we have more copies of the database? And so we created this thing called database availability groups, Uh which was really, really cool. Um, And then SQL later copied it. Now they have availability groups. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking with Marsha, and I think that came up uh, at some point during during our conversation. So interesting that that 9-11 was kind of that pivot point that really, you know, created a huge focus around 
you know, disaster recovery, but right. then also some feature development. And isn't it nice being a company where you have all those different things that you can touch, right? Definitely. That you, you know, you could talk to the SQL Server team or, you know, the other the other teams that, that needed features built in yes. order to improve upon the product that you guys were working on. Definitely. Which brings us to Pure here. Yes. Um, and I wanted to, you know, get the context out there on why we're still talking about exchange today and and do some of this evolutionary things. And, and I love that you covered up front kind of the reasons why, you know, folks are, are you know, coming back off of maybe a SaaS solution or that they never left, right? I'm sure right. there's many instances where, but I think, you know, last I kind of checked on the, on the, the split, it's still more than half, which is which is on prem. It's like fifty two percent if I'm making up the number perhaps, yep. but I seem to recall reading that that which which is a significant, you know, reason for us to focus on it here at Pure. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And traditionally the problems have been performance mm-hmm. and data protection. And those are like the two biggest ones. And Pure has both of those nailed. Yeah, when people can't get their email quickly, right. they kind of get upset. Very right? upset. Right? I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, sometimes you talk about problems technologically down at the database layer or, you know, with storage, and it's hard to relate. I think everybody listening, you know, consumes data through email. Definitely. And if you can't get your email, that's a very, very frustrating um, kind of problem. Um, so Exchange is, is one of our use cases that we do focus on here, and you're kind of the primary uh, architect around that. Um, Talk about what you see that we and you've tested all these things, right? I know oh, you did definitely. a big, you did a, you just published a great best practices paper, but uh, around performance, what have you noticed with with Pure Flash Array that that solves some of those latency response time issues? Yeah, so traditionally the problem with Exchange is that it was so sensitive to performance hmm. that you would have to isolate everything. You'd have to have the logs separate from the databases because sequential versus random I.O. on hard drives, you're going to really kill the performance yeah. of that. Um, so you'd have all these objects to manage. Um, you would have a thousand knobs to tune at the storage layer so that you could get 5% more performance. And now suddenly, uh, you know, we've got 20 years of, you know, 10K RPM, 15K RPMs trying to cheat by storage short-stroking the spindles and stuff like that. Um, And all that would just give you incremental single-digit improvements. And then suddenly, you know, pure flash array, and you now are, you know, 20-fold what the the fastest hard disk could do. Yeah. And now we have, you know, all NVMe that yeah. is another level. And then it's the latency that's so amazing. And that was the problem. So if you if we go back in time, around the time of Exchange 2000, 2003, Blackberries were getting really popular. They had a uh, non-optimal way of pulling mail so that they could see what was new, so that it would cost somewhere between four and 10 IOPS per user. That's a decent penalty, right? That's decent, yeah. particularly yeah. when you think that uh, uh, the best spinning media at the time could give you 100, mm-hmm. maybe 150 IOPS, okay. and then you're doing some RAID to that, so then that's really shrinking, yep, that's the, shrinking it. what sure, it can sure. do. Right. Um, and so you know, you, you could have a server that had 20, 30 hard disks in it that could support 100 users, 200 users. Um, and now today with Flash Array, you know, you have the IOPS and the latency is sub-millisecond, right, which is phenomenal. So a lot of folks that are deploying Exchange today, in some smaller shops, they try to de- deploy on DAS. And, and the DAS can do it, right? And, you know, if you, if you need sub-20 milliseconds, you can do that with it's DAS. It's good enough. It is good enough. Because people don't think notice between 1 and 20. Right. Right. But when, right. You, when you get further out, then that's where it's kind of noticeable. But there are some other challenges, right? Right. Yeah. Because it's more than just the transactional IOPS. Yeah. You've got database maintenance going on. So it's sequentially streaming megabytes per second, large IOPS that tend to kill 
uh, JBOD and, and smaller storage arrays that don't have uh, any intelligent caching. And there's that scale that scale issue again that comes yep. up, right? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. definitely. And then you have uh, log shipping going on. So you have database availability groups. You have multiple copies of a database in typically two sites. And that is causing a lot of traffic and a lot of headache. Then you have folks that have maybe a third-party backup application, and so they're sequentially reading everything every night and depositing it into a third-party repo. Um, And so those things all add up. Uh, In the old days, you had to isolate SANS for exchange. Yeah. Siloed, right? Totally siloed. And and today that's not the case. In fact, most of the customers that I work with, um, exchange is a significant part of the capacity. Right, maybe a third of the flash array is exchanged because they have two or three copies at each site, um, but it is a, a very small part of the performance. So they're able to leverage all that performance in the flash array and put SQL databases on it and all their other workloads. So you advocate mixed workload approach to that, right? There's Definitely. no drawbacks on flash array no. to where you have to go. Well, be a little bit careful on that because no. you know the behavior of that might you know noisy neighbor thing right, right coming right. up. There's, there's there's nothing that you've seen in your testing that 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 would lead you to go. Well, yeah, just avoid that. Don't do that. No, and. It, it, Actually, the opposite. So what I typically find is, in my past experience with hybrid SANS, with caching, or with all uh, uh, hard disk, you are bottlenecked on the hard disk, always. And now you're not bottlenecked on the flash, and so you start finding bottlenecks all up and down the stack. And this is by design, and it helps you with the noisy neighbor. Sure. Imagine that you're deployed on ESX, right? And you have a virtual machine. It's running Windows, and that VM is going to have, by default, a SCSI card that's virtual that has a very small queue depth. And so if you're really going to throw you know, tens of thousands of IOPS in a, a virtual hard disk on that infrastructure, you have to think about that. Well, maybe I should use para virtual SCSI. Maybe I should have more than one SCSI controller. Maybe I should offload it that way. When you, when you switch to something like SQL, right, you, a database is not just one file. It could be a file group with a dozen files. Yeah. And where should you put those to get around bottlenecks within the hypervisor stack? And so those are the kind of things that we see. Now with Exchange... Thankfully not, because right. you don't need 10,000 IOPS out of a single database or a single virtual hard disk. You need 200 or maybe 300. It's good enough. It's good enough. But I like that that, that you know you've, you've tested out or that you advocate the opposite, right? Which is just yeah, go ahead, go ahead, deploy, right? Take your other workloads and put them there. You're not going to have any issues, uh, except that you may move the bottleneck somewhere else. Right. right. That's it. Right. And, There's and always a bottleneck. That's something that we right. get accused of, and yep. that's fine, right? We'll yep. help people solve that one as well. A lot of this that you're describing sounds. Um, it sounds challenging. It sounds complex, right? There's there's an element of complexity when you're talking about all these different variables and and things that need to live there and shipping logs and all that. Uh, is that is that the number one thing that, that the exchange admins will run into? So yeah, in, make it in the past right? it was always about performance, right? And now, particularly the customers that are deploying on Flash Array, yeah, um, they are getting a uh, very very easy storage deployment. So if you think about standing up uh, some of our competitor SANs where you're trying to have, you have HA pairs and you're trying to cluster them and this and that, I mean, it's very difficult to set that up. It's Mm -hmm. very complex. You're having to decide where every device goes and how to rate it and everything. And with Peer, there are no knobs. There are no buttons. Encryption's on. Data reduction is on. Everything is protected. Non-disruptive upgrade. True enterprise. I mean, we even publish our you know, number of nines availability yes, across yes, the global measured, fleet, which right, is amazing, right? I know, I know, yeah. Which you must love coming here after yeah, nine it, months, right? It's, it's pretty sweet. And all these things that you don't have to worry about, right? I mean, in, in, in prior roles, and this is, you know, this happens over and over with folks that I have come on to the program where, 
you know, they go, oh, you know, I came to Pure and I read all the marketing stuff, no storage tuning. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens when you really get there. But sure. it's really true. Right? It is it's true. Yeah. And, and yeah. the exchange administrators, maybe they believe or agree or, or it's proven that they don't have to do that storage tuning. But then they're asking, well, what about all the tuning I have to do on my VM or my physical exchange server mm -hmm. in order to make it work right? And the answer used to be a 50-page white paper to make it work right for your storage. And for Pure, the answer is no, not for performance. It's for data protection. How are you going to protect that data? And so there's lots of stuff that I'm working on on how you can be really smart about protecting that data. A lot of companies prefer a third-party backup vendor. Many of them integrate with Pure to use Pure Flash Array snapshots. Right. Um, also, um, things like being able to seed and rapidly reseed. And what happens when you're writing to a database that is reading a log and playing that log and you ship that log somewhere else and then it gets played into? Now, Peer has all these different ways of doing data protection. But at the end of the day, two copies of database one are going to have unique data because they're independent entities that are writing in these transactions. There's going to be headers and all sorts yeah, of information. Yeah. So over time, they're going to subtly, maybe 10%, uh, be divergent. Mm -hmm. And so what if you could run a PowerShell script once or twice a year to stop the uh, suspend the database uh, copy, the one that you want to manipulate, uh, offline the disk, refresh it uh, by overwriting from a snapshot on your production, bring it back online, and that all happens in like 10, 12 seconds. And, and now that 10% divergence yeah. is gone. You just Suddenly you get a lot of capacity back. With space-efficient snapshots, yes. right, with that part. But then also PowerShell, right? Right. That's another area that you're pretty heavily involved in. You yes. And, you and our friend, our friend Mr. Barks, right? Definitely. He's on the PowerShell. Talk about talk about PowerShell in general and, and kind of what you're doing in that space, as well as how it relates to things you're just talking about with Exchange there. It's, it, there's some powerful sets of tools that we're working with there. Yeah, so Pure really has an API. API uh, model and API first uh, kind of philosophy. So just about anything that you do, you know, SSH into a storage controller is exposed via APIs. And those same APIs are called whether you're logging in with the web UI to the Flash Array, whether we have a PowerShell SDK, we mm -hmm. have a Python SDK. Um, and so with PowerShell, not only do we have an SDK, which enables you to do anything that you could do on the Flash Array through that, um, we also have a toolkit. And so typically when you're deploying uh, an enterprise uh, solution, one of, the, one of the tricks is MPIO. So in the past, it was very difficult. You had all this custom software. You had all these drivers and firmware. Everything had to be unique. If one thing was off, the Microsoft cluster service would go down. It was very, very finicky to the point where they created a data center edition of Windows. that You had to certify everything down to the firmware version of the HBAs. And if one thing changed, it was no longer certified. And this whole Six Sigma thing of, oh, we're only going to change things every six months. And yeah, process-based. Yeah, Very, yeah. very mm -hmm. crazy. So with Pure, it's so simple that you can run uh, Barks' PowerShell Toolkit. There's a test Windows best practices. Any of the settings aren't perfect, and there's only four or five settings. Yeah. It says, would you like to change that? Yep, 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 yep. Okay, reboot the server, boom, you're done. There you go. That's it. Fully customizable, too. And you are done. Right. There's, not, there's no, nothing to set. Yeah. There's nothing to worry about. It's, a, it's, it's phenomenal. So what are we doing with PowerShell? Besides the fact that we're constantly updating, we just launched uh, the 1.16 uh, version of the SDK that's compatible with the newer version of, of, of our REST, um, is I, I looked at this SDK and I'm like, what if we utilize that to create a backup uh, requester for Exchange? Sure. And so I, just, I completed that. Um, before I release it, I'm going through a lot more kind of 
what you would use in production. So a little bit smarter with logging and error handling, yeah. things like that. Yeah. But uh, it works, uh, and you're going to see that in the toolkit uh, version 2.0, which Excellent. is coming soon. Very cool. Um, and you'll be able to use that to do that initial seed or rapid reseed to help get some of that capacity back over time. Very nice. Do, does getting that capacity back, or, or and I, I kind of wanted to ask this earlier, do we, are there ways that we impact licensing for exchange? And I guess first, how is it licensed? What, what, so, what, yes. So it's user-based thing? It or, is. Okay. It's, it's server and user-based. So okay. you need a Windows license for okay. exchange. Uh, you're going to have to license every core on the physical box oh, that it's on. Based. All right. Yeah, and All right. then you're going to have an exchange license, which will be standard or enterprise for that operating system environment. And then every user that connects to the exchange server needs a client access license, both for Exchange and for Windows. Okay. And so one of the things that Microsoft did about 15 years ago is they decided um, we're not going to test scale anymore. Uh, we're going to test to a certain limit, and no, it's a known good config, and we're going to call that a preferred architecture okay. and spin up more. Yeah. Right? And so only put 5,000 users on an Exchange server, spin up another one, spin up another one. Um, and so what's happened is if you look at the last 10, 15 years, you know, we've gone from, you know, four processor socket single core servers to now we're getting 50 some odd cores least, out of a 2U, right. uh, yeah. two socket box with three to six terabytes of RAM is phenomenal, Huge. right? Yeah. And so one of the problems is that Exchange was always very symmetric. And so they would check and say, hey, you can on you only have four DIMM slots. And so, you know, if you put in four gig DIMMs, that's 16 gigs of RAM. And next hop is 32 gigs of RAM. If you sized it and you needed 20 gigs of RAM, you're buying 32 gigs of RAM. And they did that same mentality with storage. Okay. So you need this much capacity, but you're going to have a symmetric number of databases on every server if you needed you know 42 and you only had you know seven servers it wouldn't quite add you know well it would with seven but um, the, the key is that they would bump up the number of databases okay each database had a cost with compute and with memory to, to manage that in the database cache and so if you look at Microsoft's response and, and if you use their sizer they're going to have smaller exchange servers and lots of them so my biggest uh, push for customers to really evaluate, particularly with if they're virtual, and most exchange deployments today are virtual, um, you get to really zero that in, right? You don't have to buy 16 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of RAM. And so with the shipping of Exchange 2019, they've upped those requirements where you can have up to 48 cores on a virtual exchange server and 256 gigs of RAM. So if you're deploying 64 gig of RAM VMs, you know, with, with a dozen cores, you're going to need a lot more exchange servers. Yeah. So you're going to write a lot of, you know, four or $5,000 enterprise exchange license checks for each one of those VMs, and you don't need to do that. So my focus is let's be smart about it. Let's not have a bunch of 50 gigabyte databases because you can only have up to 100 on an exchange server. Let's have a realistic size. And it's been about a decade I've been pushing for, you know, Microsoft to raise their limits. And, you know, their, their limits right now are about two terabytes for a database size. And I've worked with many customers that are in the four to five terabyte oh, yeah. I range. I would imagine. I would imagine. And when yeah. you're working on something that's purpose built for Flash, like like Purity is mm -hmm. and like Flash Array, where you're able to take a snapshot nearly instantaneously, delete it nearly instantaneously, you don't have that hypervisor tax. Yeah. The old hypervisor stuff, copy on write, it'd create child files for each uh, virtual hard disk file. If you took the snapshot, it could stun the VM. Right, And so now you have your databases failing over and things like that. You actually go to delete a snapshot, which is the steady state, right? Because yep. typically yep. you either have zero snapshots or X snapshots, create a new one, delete the oldest one. So every time you are doing that interval, you're deleting, and that deletion could take hours and send tens of thousands of IOPS to your storage subsystem. 
Now, is that as painful on flash array? No, because flash array is so fast. Yep. But why why do all of that work if you have an opportunity to leverage Pure's hardware provider where it's instant? And then you can take those snapshots, take them to another flash array, and then what we've had a lot of customers doing, because everybody, when they talk about data protection, focuses on backup. But the focus today has always been, now I have a catastrophic outage, I need to get to that data. How fast can I do it? It's restore. And it's right. restore. It's restore is the big one. Yeah. And I have dealt with dozens of customers that have flash blades, and flash blade is their target for backup of anything older than X amount of time, maybe a couple of days or a week, and they're able to restore from a flash blade to their production flash array at gigabytes a second. This is their offline solution yes. for getting that back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then they don't want to keep stuff on flash blade for the next 50 years, so they're going to have a limit, let's say 12 months or six months, and then they're pushing it into the cloud. Yeah, archive it over. Yeah. And pushing things into the cloud, oh, this archive, I've got 20 petabytes of exchange data, that's going to be expensive to push that into the cloud. And so I've been working with folks that have been using our object engine Fantastic. to crunch that down yeah. and then put it into our cloud block store. Uh, amazing You've for really long-term retention. It's a nice end-to-end -end approach it that is. you can actually go talk about and and cost savings and, and moving out you know, some of the complexity. And these are all things that I think you document in your uh, best practices Definitely. paper, which yes, is now sir. up on the web, which yes. now if you go to purestorage.com slash Microsoft and scroll down about halfway down the page, you will find a blade, which is what we call the layouts on the web, uh, that highlights Microsoft Exchange and goes right to your about, what, 15-page, 20-page. Yes. So it's not massive, I didn't massive, make it right? massive. I tried yeah. to just... Sometimes they can be like 80 pages and right. nobody wants to sit and read that. Exactly. But if you want to get some of these best practices that Q is talking about here and see some of the testing work where you you know, you know did a lot around scalability oh, definitely. and how to deploy and remove complexity and some of your recommended practices. It's, it's all yep. there. It's it's great work. Right. And in, in, in the last uh, you know decade, since Exchange 2013, then they had 16 and 19, they're just incremental. They're not evolutionary changes. They're almost like service pack with a few features. But there is one new feature in Exchange 2019, and that's the Meta uh, Cache database. Okay. And that database is the first time that Exchange is, uh, the Exchange product group has said, if you have some SSDs available... Put that on the SSD. Nice. So in the past, it's always been, why do you need flash? Yeah. 20 yeah, milliseconds whatever. is fine. Right. Yet the number one response I get from customers about Pure and about Flash Array is that it's so fast and I don't have, I'm not getting called yeah. for performance problems. Which is a wonderful thing. It's right? amazing. To they not have love to worry it. about that. That's yeah. fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Hey, plug what you're doing. We've got Accelerate coming up in yes. about a month from when we're recording this right now. And then we've got Ignite out in November. We're going yes. to be out in Orlando together, which will be uh, which will be a lot of fun. A lot Definitely. of great folks to talk there. What kind of, what are you talking are you, are you going to talk about some of these exchange and PowerShell things yes. at, at both of those shows? I, I definitely am. Good. I'm also going to be talking a little bit about the Windows Admin Center. Excellent. Uh, we have a plug-in that uh, is uh, pretty phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Again, like I mentioned, everything about uh, REST APIs, the same calls a are done. API and you first. Can, you, exactly. <laughs> and then also I'm doing a lot with Active Cluster. Yeah. And so one of the things that uh, I've been working a lot in the past uh, half year is folks deploying Hyper-V stretched clusters with Active Cluster. 
And active cluster is a little bit weird because in the past, my whole life of storage, you connected synchronous replication and you had active and then you had this passive piece. Right. And if you wanted to fail over, you couldn't. You had to run all these scripts to break the links, to change it from passive to active, to bring it back up. Some storage arrays could then sync it back. Some you'd have to start all over and push all the petabytes back. Um, active cluster is active, active, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, and so to be frank, for Exchange, not very interesting. But for because you're going to have availability groups, yep. yeah, it's yeah. going to take care of copying the databases to the DR site. But for SQL, SQL and Server, for lots yeah, of other things, sure. oh my goodness. And with failover cluster instances, it, it's amazing. So I'm working on best practices for that. And Fantastic. that's going to be out around Ignite. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we look forward to it. I look forward to being at both of those shows with you. Hey, fantastic stuff. Thanks Thank for uh, sharing all this, this great stuff you're doing around Exchange and PowerShell. And uh, we'll get you back on. Maybe uh, maybe Accelerate, I'll uh, grab you and, and pull you in. Awesome. Just talk about uh, what, what you've been covering and who you've been, uh, who you've been speaking with. Um, you got a blog? You want to plug a blog? You put yeah, so I, I started there? one uh, okay. not too long ago. It's just QitPure at right. blogspot.com. Uh, yeah, and, I didn't say uh, up front. I meant to say up front that you kind of just go by Q and Q at Pure, and I, I said your full name. So uh, if cool. people you know got to the end of this, they'll know it's Q. It's Q, yeah, right? And, uh, exactly. And reach out. You're, you're out there on the blog and, and very accessible. And I, as I already said it, uh, if you want more information on uh, not just Exchange, but everything that we're doing in the Microsoft solution space. It's it's one of the biggest use cases that we have uh, here at Pure for all the good reasons that Q's been talking about, that we just solve a lot of these you know difficult problems that uh, that, that storage admins and DBAs and exchange admins have. Um, go check it out at purestorage.com slash Microsoft. And uh, as always, thanks to uh, all of you for listening, for uh, telling colleagues and sending in your feedback. I actually am getting emails and people reaching out on LinkedIn about the program every once in a while as well. Uh, which I love to hear. If you have requests for episodes, topics, things that we can help make this better for you, please do send those in. Uh, and with that, we'll go ahead and wrap for Pure Storage and Q. <laughs> this is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. <laughs>